0: Our Lord, we're so thankful. Uh, We want to thank you for the book of Daniel, and uh, we want to thank you especially for Jesus, who was the author of Daniel. He gave Daniel the information through his spirit, and Daniel revealed (coughs) him in such a way that it should uplift our spirits, not only uplift us, but convert us. We ask for your Holy Spirit now to guide and direct our thoughts and our words uh, during this time in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. All righty, uh, last, we started with um, Christ and Daniel continuing, and uh, just a little bit of review. We, we uh, considered that every chapter in the book of Daniel, um, somehow repre- or Christ is represented. And we, we went through this, and so we'll not go through it in detail today. But this is a summary and an overview of the um, of the entire book, and uh, uh, we uh, talked about Jesus testifying of Daniel. In, uh, we t- looked at Mark one one fourteen to fifteen in the beginning of his public ministry, where he said, "The time is fulfilled. Repent and believe the gospel." And then we have we looked at Matthew twenty four. That's this one here that uh, just before he was crucified he gave an outline of prophecy to his disciples and, as it recorded there in, in Matthew 24 and he said when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place um, whoever reads let him understand then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So this was a, a, um, an understanding that the Jewish Christians, the believers had uh, at the time of Christ, and uh, they say there was not a single Jewish believer in Christianity in Christ who was lost, They got out of there. But this is repeated then in the Middle Ages, and it's going to be repeated again, or it's, it's, it's simply going to grow uh, uh, from that. And uh, uh, he, he's quoting from, there are, two, there are two, three places in Daniel that deals with the abomination of desolation, two that are very specific. This one in Daniel 12.1, from the time that the daily is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there should be 1,290 days. And that's 12... Oh, I'm not going to get into it. There's, there's two, two positions on the daily. One is that, that it's the gospel that was taken away. The other is that it was paganism. Miller, Miller said it was paganism and that... Uh, The daily was taken away so that the papacy could be set up. And the date for it was 508 B.C. That's when the daily was taken away, according to Miller. And then uh, in 538, the papacy was set up. And uh, I lean that way very heavily. Now, there are some strong arguments about the gospel, too, that the gospel was taken away and then the papacy was set up. But I would say it applies, both of them apply uh, to uh, the papacy as being the abomination of desolation. Now, what did you do? I should have been watching you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now, what's? Oh, I see. Y- there's. Y- yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, oh, down mm-hmm. here, you can. Uh, let me show you again. No, I know where it is. I, okay. I, I, <laughs> when I, had I saw the same that line, through, okay. PowerPoint. Took okay. A okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thank all right. Yeah. Um, all righty. Okay. Now, the, I, I re-figured re, uh, this thing. Yeah, <laughs> Okay.
1: Nine to four, three.
0: Yeah. It didn't work. Yeah. It didn't work. I don't know They're what. To find a different way. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> okay. So, this, uh, the, the little horn, this is the abomination of desolation, the papacy that, <coughs> that Daniel speaks about, Revelation talks about, Jesus talked about, Paul talks about. And I want to share something with you. I didn't have this yesterday, but I'm, I'm going to bring it in here. This is the old Rothhaus or the city hall in Nuremberg, Germany. Now, some of you may remember that uh, Nuremberg was when they had the trials after World War II. Many of the Nazi uh, uh, leaders that were actually sentenced to death because of that, because of their activities. And but Nuremberg goes back to the Middle Ages, and it goes back, especially as far as Protestants are concerned, it was what they called a free city, and uh, they became Protestant or Lutheran. And this is. uh, the City Hall of, of the 1600s, and uh, let me look at it. We'll look a little closer here at this, but it was built between 1616 and, and 1622. The building has very interesting animals on the doorways. The animals are the prophetic beasts of Daniel 7, even featuring the little horn in one of the beasts' heads, and uh, we'll see it here in a little bit. It comes up. Here is Alexander. Uh, and you have the four the four heads of uh, Daniel seven, and then you have here um, on the other side you got Caesar and the little horn. Caesar, of course, representing Rome, pagan Rome, and then you have the little horn up here. Do you, do you see it there? Whoops! What happened here? Uh, that's strange. Okay. You have the little horn, on <laughs> one of those horns uh, coming out of this. I saw a film or a, 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 a video of some American students, young people, and some uh, Germans. And they were asking people that were standing around, they pointed, they said, what, what, is, what does all this mean up here? No one, even college professors, university professors, oh, we don't know what that is. <laughs> They had one of the guides that was guiding people through this uh, old uh, this old uh, townhouse. He didn't know what it was. Uh, they thought, oh, some just uh, some myth- mythological uh, uh, creatures, you know. <laughs> and uh, but it's, this came out of the Reformation as a free city, as a Lutheran city. They were advertising the fact that the, the Protestants believed that the little horn, or, or I mean, not just a little horn, but uh, uh, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece were a part of the national belief system at that time. And uh, the only ones who, ca- who carried on with that are Seventh-day Adventists. Now, there are some, may believe, part of it, but for the most part, uh, we were the ones that have that. But I thought this would be interesting to you folks. I, uh, uh, that, uh, there were two things that the uh, Reformation taught that nearly brought the papacy to it. Well, it brought it to its knees. It almost destroyed it. One was justification by faith in Christ alone, and the other is that the little horn power and both Daniel and Revelation <coughs> represented the abomination or the papacy. And it was so powerful that that's one of the reasons for the, uh, refer- the uh, Catholic Reformation, that was to attack two points, uh, the, um, who the Antichrist is and justification by faith. And Trent was the, was the foundation for that. Uh, two tremendously intelligent Jesuit scholars were the ones who gave the uh, teachings of justification by faith uh, that are recorded in, the, in, the, in, uh, in uh, the Council of Trent. And then out of that came uh, two other scholars, Spanish scholars, who said the Antich- one said the Antichrist is sometime in the past and the other one said no, the Antichrist is sometime in the future. So you have both Daniel Revelation prophetically was destroyed in the minds of Catholics, and also the, the message of justification by faith. God has called you and me <laughs> back to those principles of of uh, the, the, uh, tr- the true Antichrist. It's not some future man, a king that comes along, or a dictator. He's already among us. <laughs> and the other is justification by faith. We need both. And uh, it will eventually pull the entire anti-christian system down uh, before Christ comes. Those are the two principles and uh, they've been there all, all along. Here's another one. There, in Revelation or Daniel 7, uh, 2 Thessalonians 4 and Revelation 13 and 17, uh, the, the um, Reformers were all united on these uh, same principles. They had differences of opinion on some of the other things but they were solid on who the Antichrist is and justification by faith. It's, it's amazing to see. But here, but you know, this one, I, I'm really fascinated with this one. Um, here, uh, what, are these, what do these things look like here? Angels, yeah. Um, this is a mockery of the throne of God. You've got the Pope who claims to be God, and he's got the cherubim on each side of him. They're all, they're all stone marble. <laughs> uh, but this is, this is the man who sits in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. This is what, what Paul wrote about in 2 Thessalonians. And then when we, we discussed this briefly last time, Revelation 13, who you have this uh, amalgamated beast. And I think, I think I've got... Uh, yeah, here here we have... These are the four beasts of Daniel... Daniel 7, all of them are located in this one amalgamated beast in chapter 13 of uh, Daniel. And uh, here you've got the lion, the bear, the leopard, the ten horns, and you've got them in reverse order in chapter 13. Um, but you've got the, uh, well I think I've got to a, a, bring this other one up here. Uh, this is tyranny. And uh, then you have apostate Protestantism. Let, let me go back here. Looks like a lamb, talks like a lamb to begin with. And then it's amalgamated into spiritualism or the the, um, uh, in the last days. This will happen with... Um, but here we've got again you've got um, we talked about the, the feet of a bear the body of a leopard, the mouth of a lion, and the ten horns all representing all of the beasts of chapter 7 of Daniel. and, um, uh, And then you have they're all opposed. This is where the the opposition is, in 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 Revelation or in Daniel as well as Revelation, the um, the uh, spiritualism, the nations of the world become spiritualistic, and they're all against Christ. We need to remember that even when we're on the receiving end, we need to remember that that it's Christ that they're against, because the spirit of the of the Antichrist is is in them, and. Uh, this is going to be uh, one of the things of the last days. Uh, Revelation. Oh, that's thirteen. It should be chapter seventeen. Uh, the woman on the beast. These the Protestants were solid on this. Uh, the interpretation that we understand today. Uh, that we looked at this one earlier yesterday. When the books of Daniel and Revelation are better understood, believers will have an entirely different religious experience. Now, it's not going to be only look out for the beast, <laughs> but it's to behold Christ. And it's by beholding Christ we become changed. And the whole book of Revelation, do you remember what the, what the introduction to the book of Revelation, how it, how it begins? It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's right. And Daniel is another revelation of Jesus Christ that we looked at uh, yesterday. And <clears throat> now, we're going to speak uh, about the mystery of God in uh, Daniel <clears throat> and um, we looked at Christ in the book of Daniel kind of an overview yesterday and um, this this uh, statue that that uh, Nebuchadnezzar well he didn't even know what it was about he, he knew he had a dream he was troubled by it and he called his wise men in and, and some could not give him any information whatsoever but the word uh, well the word secret I thought I had that one first uh, the word "secret" is <clears throat> found nine times uh, in the King James and, and the New King James version, and in the RSV and others. There are many of the uh, different translations. The RSV was in the, uh, translated from the same document, same uh, manuscripts of Daniel Revelation of, <laughs> of uh, the King James. And they, they use the word mystery rather than secret. Both of them mean the same thing, something that was not understood but revealed. And, uh, and I, uh, I think the word mystery actually fit, uh, fits better. The word that's used in the Greek New Old Testament is the same word for mystery in the New Testament. And it was the unveiling of a mystery that was puzzling the king of uh, Babylon. And maybe we can look at some of these. Uh, in in uh, Daniel two, we have the. Um, um, uh, we can look at. Well, we can, it, it won't take long. Just I probably won't read every uh, every verse, but uh, beginning there with verse eighteen. That's when. Uh, um, this is when Daniel went to his. Three, uh, three uh, friends, and uh, that they might seek mercies from the God of Heaven concerning the secret. And as I mentioned earlier, the RSV and other translations say, "or the mystery," um, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Verse 19 says the mystery or the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. And then uh, if we drop down to verse 22. Uh, God reveals deep and uh, secret or hidden things or mysteries. Uh, He knows what's in the darkness and the light dwells with him. And then verse 27, um, Daniel answered uh, in the presence of the king and said, The secret or the mystery which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. Verse 28, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets or mysteries and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head were upon your bed were these. And then he gives an interpretation of that. Verse 29, uh, The middle toward the last one, it says, he who reveals secrets or mysteries has made known to you what will be. Then in verse 30, but as for me, this secret or this mystery has not been revealed to me, because I have more wisdom than anyone living, but for our sakes, who make known the interpretation of the king, that you may know the thoughts of your heart. Um, by the way, can the devil read our minds? How do you know? He has a pretty good idea. You think he has a good idea. Okay, yeah. Uh, one, of the, one, of the, uh, one of the texts to demonstrate that he cannot read our thoughts Or the dreams of uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Those were in God gave those dreams to him. The devil could not read his mind, or he would have been able to reveal them to his henchmen. They could not. They were completely in the dark. And this is evidence uh, that the devil cannot read our mind. And now, but he, but it seems sometimes that he can. How does he do that? Have you ever used the expression, I'm going to give so and so a thought, a piece of my mind? How do, you, how do you do it? You can put
1: thoughts into
0: your mind. And, you can thought, you put thoughts in your mind. What? That's
1: what I was going to say. You put thoughts in. your Yeah.
0: Expression in your face. But we, yeah, we are expression. Yes, he looks. He he studies this. Your body temperature. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah. Uh, and he knows he knows where he's tripled us up before. And he's going to bring these same temptations around, see if he can do it again. Says, Aha, got him. you know. So he'll try it over and over again. Um, but many times by the things we say, if we say, I'm going to give so-and-so a piece of my mind, it's usually by speaking. So he listens to what we have to say, and it seems sometimes that he can read our minds, but he really can't. If we keep our mouths uh, shut, uh, he, he, wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't know what's really going on, And uh, except when we're praying. Well, we don't need to be afraid of praying out loud, even confessing our, sin, confessing our sin. It bothers him because he knows that they're going to be taken care of. But, uh, but anyhow, the, the word reveal is seven, uh, mentioned seven times. So it's the revelation of a secret or the revelation of the mystery of God. And that's what that, uh, that uh, image had to do with. Now, the gods of Babylon, verse 11, But go back there, uh, their lives depended on it. You, you know, it was Daniel, the revelation that God gave Daniel was not just for him and not just for Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Nebuchadnezzar but it was to, to save the wise men also. These men were totally opposed, they, had, they, had, uh, uh, they, were, told, they were opposed to uh, Daniel, but they also, they were in control of Babylon. Uh, they would tell, the, they, were, they professed to be able to know and interpret uh, dreams. And Daniel, or through Daniel, God revealed that the Babylonian educational system was a farce. Daniel and his companions were much wiser than all the wise men of Babylon. The health message was much better than the Babylonians. And now the wise men, these, these uh, prophetic uh, soothsayers, uh, they were not wise at all. And uh, so God was simply dismantling the whole Babylonian system in chapter 2 of, uh, of the book of Daniel. And uh, so in verse, verse 11, these men came, I think we mentioned it yesterday, said, will you tell us what you saw, then we'll tell you what it means. And and Nebuchadnezzar was a wise man. No, no. He said, you claim to do this. You tell me what it was and what it means. Then I will know (laughs) that you understand. But they couldn't do it. And so verse 11, uh, this is a basic principle of Babylon. He says, this is a difficult thing that the king requires. There is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. This is the Babylonian gods. They do not dwell with, uh, with human flesh. Um, did, did God dwell within human flesh in Daniel? Yes. This was the secret of his relationship. Um, Babylonians, uh, their gods do not dwell with human flesh. 1 John 4, 2 and 3. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Uh, every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. So this is one of the, one of the keynotes of uh, going back all the way to pagan Babylon. They did not believe that God would dwell with human flesh. And Daniel demonstrated that, uh, that this was untrue. Uh, 2 John 7, many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Now, the theory, and uh, this is a human invention by the papacy, that uh, Mary, the, na- the human nature of Mary, the mother of Jesus, was different from the nature of the rest of mankind. And uh, the official and infallible doctrine of the Immaculate Conception is defined as an article of faith. By Pope Pius IX, speaking ex cathedra, what does ex cathedra mean? It means sitting in the chair of Peter, when he makes the declaration on doctrine, it cannot be altered. And so this is one. They had believed in this for many centuries that Mary was what they called the Immaculate Conception. Um, But this was in, in 1870, they made it an official doctrine, but he made it, He started it in 1854. By the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, of the blessed apostles Peter and Paul, and by our own authority, we declare, pronounce, and define that the doctrine which holds that the most blessed Virgin Mary in the first instant of her conception by a special grace and privilege of Almighty God in view of the merits of Jesus, the Savior of mankind was preserved free from all stain of original sin has been revealed by God, and therefore is to be firmly and steadfastly believed by all the faithful. Wherefore, if any shall presume, which God may God avert, to think in their heart otherwise than has been defined by us, let them know, and moreover, understand that they are condemned by their own judgment, that they have made shipwreck as regards of the faith, and have fallen away from the unity of the church." And this is this is written actually in uh, 1890 by uh, it's found in the Catholic belief, page 214. Um, the solidarity: all members of the human race are permanently united through the law of heredity. You, you realize that all of us are related here. <laughs> we go back to Adam and Eve. They're the only one. They're the parents of the of the human race. So genetically, we are all related. And the, the genes have different ways of expressing things, but they're still, we come out of the same pool. And uh, <clears throat> we are permanently united through that law of heredity. Jesus subjected himself to this law of heredity in order to save us. Um, Catholic tradition rejects this solitary, solidarity of Christ with the human race. She repudiates the law of heredity, in regard to Mary in order to break the connection between Christ and fallen humanity. And uh, by the way, sometimes uh, sometimes people think of the immaculate conception as that being of Christ. It is not dealing with Christ, it's dealing with Mary. That somehow, in fact I've read about uh, how they try to manufacture this thing, her mother, which is her name, I think they call her Saint Anne, and her husband purified themselves before... Mary was conceived by her so that she could have a sinless human nature. This is where it comes from. And uh, uh, and here, the Mary was desolidarized, or uh, eyes rather, and separated from the sin-laden humanity. Had therefore Had there been no Immaculate Conception, then Jesus Christ would have said to be less beautiful for he would have taken his body from one who was not humanly perfect. There ought to be an infinite separation between God and sin. This is the Babylonian doctrine that God does not dwell with human flesh. And this is from Fulton Sheen uh, uh, in a book he called, entitled The World's First Love. Uh, Jesus, by, <clears throat> by being born of the virgin, thus taking to himself from her material womb a human nature of the same substance with hers, that was immaculately conceived the faith of our fathers, one ninety eight and here 's a statute of uh, one of many, but you 'll notice that uh, can you see, well you can 't see it real clear i 've got a better one here, but she 's standing on a on a serpent. I think this next one will show it a little clear. yeah, where do you think that comes from genesis three sixteen this is three fifteen yeah oh sorry um and I, I'll, I'll show you what, what they believe about this. Um, they believe that um, there's a little better picture of it, of uh, Mary standing on the head of the serpent. Who is the one that crushes the head of the serpent? Christ. Christ, absolutely. The seed of the woman, not the woman herself. This statue has Mary standing on the stake based on what is written in the Catholic Bible, the Douay uh, Reims on Genesis 3.15. This is what they say. I will put enmities between thee and the woman, and thy seed and her seed. She shall crush thy head, and thou shalt lie in wait for her heel. Now, someone—well, they didn't challenge me. They said, "Well, is that in the in the Latin?" And I hadn't read it in the Latin, but I said, "I will check it out." And sure enough, it is exactly this way. <laughs> yeah. So, so they—they've uh, manipulated do- the Bible. Pardon me. They manipulated. Oh yes, yes. That's a that's a major one that that they did. Um, here's another one. This is similar. She's standing on this serpent, but you see light coming out of her hands. She is the mother of grace. This is how grace is is given uh, to uh, to the people. So they say. Uh, I think I've got another one here of this one, or did have? Yeah, same idea. And uh, and it, and then you have. Notice here you have there are twelve stars over her head. Where does that remind? What where would that come from? Revelation, Revelation exactly. De- uh, Genesis and Revelation. Uh, they've joined uh, joined the two together, saying that this is Mary. And this is why she's been called the the associate or the mediatrix, uh, another redeemer. Now, they have not made it a, an official uh, doctrine yet. I think they will. If time should go on, they will. They're, they believe it. But they have not stated it as a what they call ex cathedra, or from the chair of Peter. But um, I, I expect that it will one day. Now, we're coming back to Daniel. The God of Daniel dwells with human flesh. And uh, Daniel 4, eight. this is... Now, when, Daniel, when Nebuchadnezzar, in the process of his conversion, uh, he, was, he was troubled. He had this dream. He, again, he didn't understand what it was. Again, the wise men of Babylon could not help him so he called in Daniel and he said Daniel came in before me he says in him is the spirit of the Holy God so God was dwelling in human flesh at that time and uh, then we have he said Belteshazzar that was the name of Daniel chief of the magicians because I know that the spirit of the Holy God is in you and no secret troubles you and some say no mystery troubles you explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen and its interpretation and this is when he saw the tree actually it was the fall of, of uh, Nebuchadnezzar and a year later the very thing that Daniel predicted happened to him uh, again in verse 18 this dream I King Nebuchadnezzar have seen and uh, now you Belteshazzar declare its interpretation since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation but you are able, for the Spirit of the Holy God is in you. And uh, maybe I can stand back here a little bit. Um, so you have God's hand at dinner, dinner time, chapter five. Uh, you had a ball, and the gall—they'd taken in the the uh, sacred vessels and were drinking wine out of them. This is Belshazzar's feast. And then you have the, the, I believe this one would be the wall, where you have the handwriting on the wall. And then, of course, the fall. And in this, as, as this king, this is the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, he was wondering what in the world was going on. And uh, <clears throat> called Daniel in. He was absolutely terrified. His knees were knocking together. He was trembling. And uh, the, well, should, the queen mother came in. This would be her, his grandmother. Uh, There's a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the Holy God. And then later when Daniel came before the king, he says, I've heard of you. The king says, I've heard of you that the spirit of God is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. So Christ was formed in Daniel as the hope of glory. (laughs) The same as with us. The spirit of God is to dwell in us. No, did Daniel have, did Daniel have, did he have fallen flesh? Yes. Fallen, yes. You and I? Yes. Does God dwell within us? Yes. Are you sure? Or do we have to purify the flesh before he comes to dwell within us? No. Comes no. He comes in, he He does a purifying. With the, the Antichrist system is you have to be, your flesh has to be purified before, before he can come and dwell with you. How
1: did
0: they think that? Mm. How? How? Well, first of all was Mary.
1: I mean, how did, the, did her parents purify themselves to have it?
0: By works. Right, uh, By works. Yeah, they gritted their teeth and their backbone and, and that type of thing. Yes. I was raised in a Catholic
1: home, uh, and when, we, when I went through catechism to prepare for First
0: Communion, that was exactly what we were taught, and one of the ways in which we were able to um, be ready for
1: communion was to basically accumulate miracles.
0: Yes. Or did you say merit? Merit? Cards. merit. Oh yes. Oh yeah.
1: They were like they were like cards of lessons, and you had to be in my
0: situation. You had to
1: be being, um right in order
0: yeah. to accumulate the card in order to be ready for communion. Wow. Interesting. I was raised a Catholic too. Went through communion, but I was about oh, seven, eight years old or something like that. But we never had the merit cards. We believed in it. Uh, like cards, I don't know.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, but we had to accumulate merit cards.
1: Interesting.
0: very <laughs> arbitrary how we received them. Yeah. Like, I can remember thinking, I don't know what I did wrong, but I didn't get my merit card. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, also, someone else was was uh, yeah. signing it off for you. Well, yeah. Wow. Yeah. wow. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It was. It was a very interesting yeah. Uh, scenario. Yeah. In, in my seven- and eight-year-old
1: mind, it didn't
0: make sense even then. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. 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 I remember the nuns used to tell us, uh, we were talking about uh, either the priests and the nuns were, were holy. And if you sinned against them, say if you sinned against a priest or another nun, you had to go to a nun, uh, they told us a nun. You go to that nun and she will intercede with you. She'll go to the one that you've offended, you know. And, I, and that was a little bit strange. <laughs> but, but that's the way it was, yep. Uh, still is, but it's not, it's not as blatant today as it was at that time. Uh, Alrighty, um, Jesus is the greatest example of righteousness by faith. Amen. There's only one kind of righteousness on the earth, and that is a faith righteousness. In Ezekiel, it talks about Job, um, Noah, and Daniel, <laughs> about righteousness. They're righteous actions, but we need to remember that there is no righteousness except by faith. And so Jesus himself was righteous from a human standpoint by faith. And um, here uh, he said, I, I can do nothing of myself. That's in John uh, 5. <clears throat> he said, I'm in the Father. The Father is in me. The Father dwells in me. He does the works. And then we have over here <clears throat> the uh, application, if it will come, uh, <clears throat> for us. Without me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. Abide in me and I in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He works in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure. And so, this is the the uh, the, the faith of Jesus actually that He gives to us. And uh, <clears throat> but and Daniel was in the same situation. He he was righteous by faith alone. Without Christ, he could do nothing. And um, okay, let me go to the next one here. So in in um, Daniel 7, we looked at this a little bit from the standpoint of the beasts, the four beasts. But here you have the nature of the judgments. It, it is investigative in nature. Where the books were opened. Uh, well, uh, Pastor Bohr has been ta- talking about this, so we won't go into detail here. Um, then you have in, uh, in uh, chapter 8, he, um, Christ reveals the time of, uh, of judgment. And we talked about Palmoni, or the one, the wonderful, uh, number. wonderful number, the revealer of secrets or of mysteries, uh, the marginal reference. But this is speaking about Christ. Christ gave the 2300 day prophecy. And uh, then in chapter 9, um, this is uh, on the 2300 days, the sanctuary will be cleansed, chapter 8. Then chapter 9 reveals the basis of the judgment, which is the, the crucifixion of Christ. And uh, uh, we'll come back a little bit. I want to go back here. Uh, with this, the, um, in Hebrew thought, many times they'll have the conclusion of something at the beginning, like in chapter 7. Then it builds on that, chapter 8. But chapter 9 is the basis of the judgment, both the time of it and also the, uh, the, uh, the function of judgment. Um and we need to understand that Christ is the the cross of Christ is the basis of all judgment. He was judged in our behalf, as our representative, as our substitute, and that's why God can uh, bring uh, bring the human race into judgment. But in fact, let's let's go to uh, chapter seven. I want to go back there. Um, Pastor Bohr had brought out some things in here that. Um, that deals with the judgment. We need to remember that the judgment of God for his people is just that, it's for his people. It's not against them. Uh, many people are absolutely terrified when they think about judgment. But remember the judgment is twofold. It's against the, the papacy, but it's for God's people. And in, in chapter seven, verse 13, this is when Christ becomes as the son of man, one who looks like the son of man, came with the clouds of heaven. He came to the ancient days. They brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Now this, this dominion, this kingdom was given to Christ, but he doesn't keep it for himself. And if we drop down to verse, I believe it's 18. Yeah, it says the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Then if we drop down to verse uh, 22, it talks about the Ancient of Days coming and a judgment was made in favor of the saints. And the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. So again, you've got Christ receiving the kingdom and then he passes it on to his people. And then the last is in verse uh, 27. The kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey Him. So here we have the, the um, complete from the, from the death of Christ to the very end of time when Christ earned the kingdom when He died. And in 1844, when he went into the second apartment, he received the kingdom officially. And then, uh, but he, he, did, he, well, he holds it for us now, but it, it is ours because he's our representative. And when he comes back the second time, the whole thing is given to us. Can you imagine what it's going to be like? Rulers. <laughs> uh, but it's, uh, well, uh, princes and princesses uh, <laughs> that uh, will be called. It's wonderful. Now, uh, Daniel seven through nine, uh, there are two aspects. You have both uh, poetry and prose. And uh, in uh, Daniel seven, you have the vertical dimension. You have, and it's written. It's actually written in prose. Uh, the three beasts, then the fourth beast in verse seven, and the little horn. This is all written in prose. Then, when Daniel focuses on heaven, he breaks into poetry. <laughs> And as he talks about things that are going on in heaven, which is be the judgment, uh, he um, talks about the, the the court convening. This is in uh, poetry. Then, when he takes a look again at the earth, he goes back to the verdict is in prose. And then he the uh, minion is taken and the uh, is taken away from the beast. And then he again he looks toward heaven. He changes from prose to poetry. The heavenly court is concluded in verse 14, 13 and 14, and then verdict number two, the kingdom is given to the saints. And again, you have you have both. Whenever he's talking on, about heavenly things, he's talking about poetry or in poetry. When he's talking about earthly things, he's dealing with prose. So you have uh, you have that. That's in chapter seven, and you have the same thing in chapter eight. Um, but here we have the four the four horns of uh, Of uh, Daniel 7 and chapter 7 verse 8 and uh, then you have oh this you know the same same one but in chapter 8 you have the same you have the same thing you got two beasts you got four horns this is in prose then when he talks about heaven I don't that's in uh, red you can't see that very well Uh, let me see if I can read it yes the work of the little horn in chapter 8 and uh, and this is on earth, but also he is opposing the prince of heaven, opposing Christ, and that would be the antichrist power. Uh, then when he uh, the sanctuary is cleansed, verse uh, 8, 13, 14, Again, it's in uh, uh, in poetry, but this this shows that little horn would be in prose. Then it talks about the prince being opposed, and then uh, there'll be a verdict here. But the cleansing of the sanctuary again, he breaks out into uh, poetry. And then you have the same thing in chapter 9. Uh, you got Persia and Rome, you have the cross of Christ and uh, <clears throat> the anointing of the Most Holy. And then uh, and this, of course, goes all the way across. Uh, <clears throat> but but the, the book itself is structured. Uh, Daniel was a... Well, you remember we read that one statement that in, in literary attainment they far surpassed uh, everyone else. Now, when we come here to the high point in the book of Daniel, I mentioned this yesterday, under 2,300 days the sanctuary shall be cleansed. Coming up to that you have uh, uh, chapter 8 is a historical summary of uh, chapters 1 through 7 and then you have uh, um, 814 is the climax of of symbolic uh, representation. Uh, then you have chapter 8:14 uh, is the high point. and then from here you have an interpretation that begins in verse 15, uh, verse 17 where Jesus tells uh, Daniel or um, Gabriel, "Make this man to understand uh, what you've seen." And then chapter 7 is uh, unfolding further with the 70week prophecy. That's all a part of this uh, prophetic uh, message here. But the high point is, uh, is uh, Daniel 8:14. And I mentioned also the high point of uh, of, um, uh, what's going on. Oh, yeah, uh, uh, atonement. Daniel seven, Daniel eight, fourteen. But then you have Leviticus sixteen, the Day of Atonement. Song of Solomon is a marriage. All of these are used as illustrations of the atonement or the atonement. The idea of a marriage, as a man and a woman comes together and they are at one. And so the work of atonement is the work of Christ in bringing the human race back into harmony with God. And uh, and marriage best uh, represents that. The book of Leviticus, you have uh, chapter 16, the laws for the sanctuary, for the priests, and for Israel, the first 15 chapters. And then the last uh, 10 chapters are laws for the sanctuary, the priests, and Israel again. But on this side, you have justification and on this side, you have sanctification. You know, the center of the whole book, not only of the book of uh, Leviticus, but the first five books of, of the Old Testament, uh, the center is here in chapter 16 of uh, Leviticus, which has to do with the atonement. Um, the Song of Solomon, I mentioned this yesterday, that you have the bride-to-be giving the invitation to the bridegroom, you have the invitation 4:16, and then 5:1 is the response. Where the the uh, and it, it shows that Christ is a perfect gentleman. Uh, he doesn't uh, he doesn't force himself on anyone. But in this, you have uh, there are 111 lines from uh, chapter 1, verse 2 to 4:15, and then you have 111 lines from 5:2 to 8:14. This is in, in the Hebrew uh, in the Hebrew language. But again, the Song of Solomon showing the high point. At this point in time. And uh, um, it's a love story and a, a wedding illustrating the, an aspect of the Atom, Day of Atonement, at one moment with God. And let's take a look at Matthew 22, where um, you have Jesus used this as an illustration. He, did, he didn't quote uh, Solomon, but he used the marriage um, ceremony as an illustration of the judgment. Um, Okay, here, verse 8 says the wedding was ready, and um, verse 9, he says, go into the highways and invite everyone to the wedding, the good and the bad. The servants went out, verse 10, to the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. The wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who had not on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. The reason he was speechless is because he was Christless. <laughs> it is Christ that prepares us for the wedding. And, uh, and so the, this wedding, the wedding ceremony is an illustration of, the, of judgment. Because when the man came out to inspect the, the uh, guests, um, he looked them over to see they had on the head on the wedding garment or the Christ righteousness. What that Matthew 22. Yeah, here, um, 9 through 12 is the the parable that Christ uh, used to illustrate that. Um, so, again, the high point in the book of Daniel. Daniel means God is my judge. And uh, now, the cross is the theology of the heavenly sanctuary, Revelation 5 6, where. This is again a continuation of Daniel. Uh, Jesus is our Lamb; His cross is our altar, and it's reflected in heaven. Uh, the cross is central to the judgment. It is central to the sanctuary in heaven. It's central to the second apartment as well as the first apartment in the heavenly sanctuary. Um, Christ and Him crucified. the The whole universe looks to Christ. In fact, and, and let's let's go to five. I, don't it? but five, chapter five verse six of um, Revelation, where um, we see the cross that's uplifted. Chapter chapter five yeah chapter five verse six, of uh, the um, he says I looked and behold in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain. This is Christ named crucified. It's the very center of the universe. The throne of God is based on the uh, on the self-sacrificing love of Christ. That's the government of God. What the cross of Christ is simply a a um, expansion uh, of of the government of heaven. That um, and that the principle is to give to give themselves. And so the cross and the cross will be a center to us throughout uh, eternity. Um, in Daniel, the wisdom and the power of God are revealed. In chapter 1, where you have the, the wisdom of God displayed in Daniel. By the way, there were, were, there other, were there other young people from uh, Judah other than the four Hebrews? What happened to them? Yeah, they compromised. That's right, yeah. These four stood alone. And they were probably ridiculed by those whom they knew. Uh, at that time uh, in, uh, in Jerusalem. Um, the sanctuary, like the cross, is the wisdom and the knowledge and the attainment of God. The judgment itself is for, not against God's people, and we look to that in, in Daniel 7. Um, it, in, uh, in the Psalms, judgment is actually welcome. David says, come judge me, Lord. Shall we look at some of those? The tremendous passages. Uh, chapter uh, 96, 10 through 13, where, um, and while we're thinking about, while we're turning there, I'm going to ask a question. What tribe was Daniel from? Judah. Judah, okay. What tribe was Jesus from? Mm-hmm. Interesting. <laughs> they were relatives. Um, and we'll, we'll see if we can get to that in a little bit here. But in Psalm 96, if someone has it, you want to read it for us? 96, 10 through 13, yep.
1: For the Lord, for he is coming, for he is coming to judge earth.
0: Okay, and then 11. That's all right. Yeah, 11, uh, uh, verse 11.
1: Oh, let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar with all its
0: fullness. So here you've got rejoicing going on as the judgment is being uh, displayed. In verse 12, even earth, it says, let the field be joyful, the trees. And then verse uh, 13, for his coming, he is coming, he is coming to judge the earth. And he should judge, "Judge the world with righteousness, and all the peoples with his truth." So you've got uh, you've got the idea here that uh, God's judgment is welcome. All of these other chapter eight, verse uh, eighty-two, verse eight, one thirty-nine, and uh, twenty-six—they're all dealing with a judgment as a joyous occasion, not something to be dreaded. If we're covered, if we're covered with the righteousness of Christ, do we have anything to worry about? Not at all. That, that's uh, Yes. You know, they're looking forward to being exonerated because they're, they've been insane. Yes. And it's going to be a judgment that is righteous and fair. Absolutely. And all the judgments of the earth, all of them are going to be completely reversed. I mean, those that were, that were uh, wrong. And uh, the whole universe is going to see this. It's amazing. They're watching intently of what, what's happening uh, even today. Um, they're probably more interested than actually we are <laughs> of what's going on in heaven. Pardon me? yeah, yeah. I, just
1: had, a, I had a question. I remember growing up uh, how they used to be dwelling in, in, into us about, boy, on this judgment, you better be ready because if you have one little thing, then yeah. you're not going to make it. And you were so yeah. afraid of it. Doing this or doing that, you were just
0: on edge, and yeah. your judgment scared you to death. Yes, yes, it's a bit, uh, I'm, uh, It's a, a vegetarian hell. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the uh, um, it's, if if a person does not know Christ, then it's something to be fearful for, mm-hmm. or from. But um, if we know Christ then we should rejoice. Well, like a, a wedding, you know, have you ever, I, I don't remember ever going to a wedding where, was, where people were weeping, except for joy maybe. Um, usually there's celebrating, you know, and uh, in the world, it, the, a wedding is a celebration. And that's the way the judgment is, as far as God concerned. because it's at one moment with his people forever. He will never be separated from us again. And uh, now He dwells within us by His Spirit. And uh, the judgment will reveal all of this to the, to the universe. It's uh, being revealed, I think, even now. But, uh, but here, here's another part of the judgment. This is in, in Acts seventeen thirty one. it says, He, speaking about God, God has appointed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by or in, it's a literal word, in the man whom He has ordained He has given assurance to us all by raising him from the dead. But this is in the setting of the judgment. We can have assurance because of Christ. Christ is our assurance. We're accepted in the beloved. And uh, that's part of the the judgment. Um, Christ has not entered into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. And Daniel, uh, Daniel leads up to this in the the 2,300-day prophecy, um, and this is part of uh, part of that. We we won't go into the details of all of it. Yesterday we looked at Christ chapter by chapter and in literary form, and I think we're not going to go any more in that direction. I think in well, let, let me see what we got here on the prophecy. I was looking at this. I had something else that didn't get in here. Yeah, we we did this yesterday. Now I want to come back to. Uh, Daniel, the spirit of God dwelt within him. <clears throat> Did the spirit of God dwell in Christ while he was here on earth? Yeah. Can you think of any passages that might connect Daniel and uh, and Jesus? Well, I
1: think in the baptism.
0: Which? In Jesus baptism. Baptism. The Holy Spirit came down. The okay, uh, publicly the Holy Spirit came down. Yeah. Okay. Okay, the Spirit led him uh, into the wilderness. Transfiguration. Which? The Transfiguration. Transfiguration, where he was glorified. Okay. Can you think of any Old Testament prophecies that either connect Christ with Judah or with the Holy Spirit? Yes, okay, 60 and 61. In fact, we, I think we may, maybe take a look at it. But I was thinking of another one in, in Genesis chapter uh, chapter 49. You remember where it says that the scepter would not depart from Judah <laughs> until Shiloh comes? That was Christ uh, prophesied him. Um, so here it connects him with Judah. He was born in Bethlehem, which was Judah, in Judah. And then Revelation 5. He is the lion from the tribe of Judah <laughs> that you know, opened the books, uh, the scrolls. There. And so Christ, was, there's no doubt he was from Judah. But let's go to, uh, uh, you mentioned Isaiah 60 and 61. Six, yeah, Both of them are good. Um, let's take a look at something here. In yeah, chapter, uh, chapter 61, yeah, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me Instead of, we could read, uh, let's go back where it says, to give them be- uh, beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, the garment of, garment of praise instead of the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. But this is the work of Christ under the un- unction of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was resting upon him. Uh, the one I was thinking also was chapter 60, Uh, This does not talk about so much about about Christ Himself, but it it talks about the light. Verse uh, 1 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. And that comes from the Holy Spirit. Uh, The glory of the Lord has risen upon you, for behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, deep darkness the people. The Lord will arise over you, and His glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Now, and this again is a prophecy of Christ. If we drop down to verse um, verse 5, then you shall see and become radiant, and your heart shall swell with joy, because the abundance of the sea will be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall shall come to you. The multitude of camels shall cover your land. The dromedaries of Midian and Ephah. Who are these people? Huh? Well, they may have been part of the wise, but uh, yes. Okay, but it talks about yeah. Oh, I see. Yes. Okay. Yeah. but who, who was, uh, where did Midian and Ephah come from? What, were they, were they Gentiles or Jews? Gentiles, yes. They came from Abraham and Tekura, uh, Keturah. Now, let's read on. And from Sheba, Sheba was a, a son of uh, Midian. Or no, no, I think Ephah uh, was. Now they shall bring gold and incense, they shall proclaim the praises of the Lord. The flocks of Kedar shall be gathered together for you. The rams of Neboeth shall minister to you. I will ascend with acceptance um, on my altar and I will glorify the house of my glory." Um, Kedar in verse 7 was a son of Ishmael. Neboah was the first son of Ishmael. What is this telling us? Now, this is this is a prophecy of the last days? Who who are these people today? Yes.
1: All all, all people all people will Christ as Lord. So it's the it's the people the Gentile people. This is a uh, summary of the Gentile people outside of Israel. Is it not?
0: Yes, but there's a specific Gentile people. Yes. Ma'am. What?
1: Islam. Yeah,
0: Islam. This this is a this is a prophecy of Islam. Not all.
1: Where was
0: that? From? That's in chapter sixty of, uh, of um, uh, probably from verse oh, 6, Probably uh, you got to Keturah and then down through uh, seven. Um, the God had given uh, Ishmael a promise. 12 tribes, 12 princes he called them, um, and then there were 12 tribes of Israel, and there are uh, how many apostles, 12, yeah. for some reason God has given us specifics about these, but I think what we can see in the last days, now today, what we're seeing today, um, not by the majority of, the, um, of Islam. Uh, but some radicals, do you know the relationship between the the uh, Muslims or the uh, in, in during the time of the Reformation? Had it not been for the had it not been for the for the Muslims, the Protestant Reformation would not have taken hold uh, when you study, I wish we had a chalk, but that, well, you follow my finger. <laughs> Um, so here's, here's Europe and Spain is here and you got the papacy here and let's say the Mediterranean Sea is, is here. Uh, when, when, um, when the people came out of, the Saracens came out of Arabia, they went across northern, northern uh, Africa, went into Spain, they went as far as Tours France and were driven back uh, by, the, uh, by the, the king of France or he became the king of France, drove them back into Spain. And they tried different times to go there. What they wanted to do was make the uh, Mediterranean Sea a Muslim lake. <laughs> uh, they were after the papacy, and they couldn't—they couldn't get to them. And so they went around this other way, and they started. Uh, they wanted to come in through Constantinople, and they, for 150 years they could not come in here. But they—they they went up uh, northeast. The Chinese were coming in; they would have captured Europe, and the the Saracens went up and pre- prevented them from from uh, coming in. And during they, they captured two men who uh, knew how to uh, manufacture paper. Um, the Chinese were the only ones who knew how to do this at this time. And the, the um, Saracens convinced these two papermakers to show them how to do it. And that, that began what is known as the Golden Age of the Muslims uh, that lasted for, from about seven, 750 to about, say, around uh, 1,200, something like that. Uh, much of what we have today came out of the Muslim golden age in science and technology. It's absolutely amazing to see what happened. But something more important than that, the papacy was, was surrounded this way. It could go, the only way it could go would be north. And Charles V was, he was in Spain. And he hated the Reformation. He, was going, he determined that he would destroy the Reformation. And so he would send his armies up to Germany to destroy them. And every time they came up, the Turks would come in from here. He'd have to divert his uh, forces and drive them back into what we call uh, modern-day Turkey. This happened time after time after time. Luther hated the Muslims most of the lutherans Lutheran, most of the uh, most of the lutherans protestants they were absolutely terrified of them but they actually contributed financially to the reformation they gave money they hired protestants to work on their ships and different things like this so they were not opposed to the gospel of christ from that standpoint but they were after the papacy sitting here in rome but god had uh, god contained them uh, for several hundred years, so that they could not go out any further than uh, from Europe. When, when uh, in 18th, uh, so, um, not 18, not 1815, uh, 1529 was the the time when the Protestant princes took a stand, protesting against the papacy in uh, in Germany, and, uh, and so they backed Luther. Uh, with their sword, if you please, they they were not going to uh, kowtow to the to the to the emperor. And uh, in the next year, no, that actually that year the Muslims had come up. They made it into Austria, uh, <clears throat> and were stopped there. There were, I think they said there were about thirty thousand Muslims, and I think there were only about ten thousand or less of Europeans that were in uh, in the. Uh, uh, what's the, what's the capital of Austria? Uh, Vienna, yes, thank you. I couldn't remember the capital. Um, they had breached the wall, but they could not take it. They panicked, and they left everything, all their armor, and they headed south <laughs> and uh, left everything there. And that was the last major one. Now, there was another one in the 1800s. Uh, let's see, 15, 1580, so there was another one where they made uh, made their march on uh, Vienna. But it was 1529 was the main was the main stoppage. By 1830... I'm sorry, 1530, the papacy began going down. And so did the Muslim world, it started going down. The papacy ended in 1798, completely devoid now of, of, uh, of uh, military power. 1840, the Muslim empire crumbled, uh, came under the jurisdiction of the Christian nations of Europe. Now, since 9 uh, one I would say, and maybe even before that, we see the rise of the papacy, and we see the rise of Muslim activity, and we see the rise of Protestantism. They're all parallel today. And uh, we're going to see more activity, I'm sure, in this. But in, uh, in the places where you've got a lot of turmoil, Syria and uh, the whole Middle East, and even Europe now, uh, as bad as it is, and it's terrible, but God is working even here. There are conversions taking place among Muslims and others because they're absolutely terrified, and the only hope they have uh, is uh, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah.
1: Tied in with this, can you see any connection between uh, Donald Trump's meeting with all of these different ones over there at that time trying to... No,
0: together, no, I, I don't, I, don't I, I haven't really considered it from that standpoint. And he's doing it from, you know, uh, you got two ideolo- uh, ideologies going on in the United States. you got the far left and the far right. And, uh, and I, think, I think that's what it is, but I think God will work through some of this stuff. Uh, many people are afraid of Trump uh, because he's right or far right. They think he's far right. I don't think he's far, as far right as many people think. But um, uh, time will tell. We believe that the the uh, it will the action of the far right, religiously, are the ones who are going to bring in the Sunday laws and change the constitution and things of that nature. Uh, it will not. I don't think it'll be from the liberals. The Liberals usually, although they're opposed, they're opposed to the principles of God's government, um, but they have. Uh, well, they've been attacking, though, on creation and redemption and things like that. This has been going on for years. But I would say both parties are trying to live above the Constitution. Some believe that uh, that uh, Trump is trying to bring us back to the Constitution. Time will, time will see whether this is true. But...
1: Yes, that's true. Life,
0: yes. Yes. And I believe when the... Uh, Did you have it? Was there a handle? Yes.
1: What I was thinking of, you know, when Mrs. White says that when Protestantism and Catholicism, spiritualism, when these come together, and with that that trip that Trump took over there, he was tying just about all of these together. Remember, he met with the Pope, he met with the Muslims, leaders, and all of these. And I was Mm -hmm. just wondering if you saw that as. Yeah. Being
0: fulfilled. No, the prophecy that I saw fulfilled was when the Pope came and spoke to the joint session of Congress. Yeah. This is unheard of. No, it's been, it's been building up to this. And this is what Daniel, actually Daniel, we're not far off the subject uh, Daniel was predicting some of this in, in the book of Revelation. I believe Christ also. the setting up the abomination. And it'll be more than the, more than the papacy, but it'll be a worldwide effect on the, on the entire world. The, uh, but you have uh, Reagan is the one that started the official recognition of the papacy as a as a nation. And uh, uh, one thing about Trump that when he was running for uh, president, and I don't keep up with all the stuff that goes on because it changes from day to day, (laughs) but I remember when the Pope came to uh, northern Mexico, and he won that anyone who uh, believed in building a wall was not a Christian. And Trump came back with the idea. He said, uh, you've got a wall around the Vatican it's 15 feet tall. <laughs> you know, so, so there was a lot of friction there, but I think they've, they've evidently mended their, their uh, rhetoric uh, from that time. But, uh, but from the time of Reagan, and it doesn't matter whether it's Democrat or Republic, every president has run to the Vatican to get the papal blessing, you know that type of thing. And this, these are uh, this. I think is the, the prophetic fulfillment of the uh, United States falling in into that trap, if you please. Uh, things are happening today that uh, I don't. We never dreamed of. I think.
1: Because <laughs> well, now it's like since Reagan, that's become tradition the, for, for it, the president to go meet with all these. Oh things, yes, yes, uh, tradition. Yes, so all, right. All yeah. the presidents
0: have done that. Yeah, and, and the. Um, uh, this this pope has been pushing in Europe for a Sunday law, through the you know the, the um, European Union. Under the guise of climate change. Yeah, climate change is one of them, and that's one of the things he discussed here in the United States uh, on that. But uh, but it, yeah, that's part of it. And uh, but and we don't know everything that he said to the to the political leaders. We we do know what he said. He was very well, uh, very popular. Um, was it Boehner Boehner is that yeah Boehner was the House of Representative uh, leader he said that was his life's ambition to get the Pope here to speak to the to speak to Congress so he yeah that's right yeah yeah <laughs> right yeah yeah but another another one that really uh, was I think quite alarming when Pope John this Pope John Paul died uh, there were four three three um, United States presidents bowing at the feet of a dead pope. And I noticed that the cardinals were standing in back of them watching. They were not kneeling down. <laughs> These Protestants were kneeling at the foot of, the, of, of this Catholic pope. And I think that was significant. And I think what's happening today on the, the um, worldwide front, I think the Lord is still holding things to, uh, back. Even Britain, I think, coming, coming out of that uh, the union of, of Europe it's a stop now. What I've thought about Trump, I, I don't know where you're at. Uh, I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Republican, so I'm not I'm not pushing for or against. Um, if he holds true to his principles that he's enunciated, it will prevent the onslaught of the papacy for a while. I don't know how long, but um, but he's, he's not he does not appear to be in harmony with what they want to do on the globalization. When he's talking about uh, America first, that type of thing, this is a Protestant statement. Well, it's not really a Protestant either, but it, but it is, uh, uh, is a political statement by that most Americans would probably agree with, uh, especially not getting into wars and things of that nature. But uh, how do we get into that? How do we get from there? Uh, these are some of the principles that Daniel, I believe, is bringing out, and especially the Book of Revelation, and. Um, The the hope we have though, regardless of who's in power, um, or whatever goes on in the world, we need to we need to know Christ. Uh, This is the main the main thing. Uh, I was in the Middle East several years ago. We were I was on an archaeological dig, and I found the Muslim people really the ones we were working with were really uh, wonderful people. Uh, I had some kids working in my uh, I had a section that was assigned to me. had We called them goofa boys. They had little. Rubber baskets, and we put the dirt in, and, and they would take it out. And these boys were trying to convert me, and they always they come up to me, you, you repeat after me, and they would say in broken English, you repeat after me. Uh, uh, Allah is the one God, and uh, Muhammad is His prophet. <laughs> sometimes they would say it in uh, Arabic, sometimes in English, broken English. And I would say, Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. <laughs> you know? And we were, I mean, we had a good time doing that, but we had some wonderful people. My wife and I would walk down one of the village streets, and they would beckon us to come in, you know. So we'd go in and drink tea. We get out of there, people on the other side of the street say, come, come, and we had drink. We were almost staggering by the time we got into <laughs> the, the street, you know, but it was just, they're very, very wonderful. And then I had one, uh, a group in, in my, um, some of the men that were from a village, they were Bedouin, and uh, the last day we had a little kind of a picnic uh, uh, lunch before everybody left. And this one guy came, he really dressed sharply, he had a nice suit coast and coat, and he Flung, flung his shirt back, or the coat like that. He had a six-shooter on his side. <laughs> he looked at me and said, <laughs> He said, he, he was boss now. <laughs> he couldn't speak any English, but, but it was just really wonderful to, to be with him. But there are some that are really, really uh, b- bad news. But, but I do think they will have a part, and uh, uh, I believe it's brought out in Revelation. The trumpets, I think uh, Pastor um, um, Moore had talked a little bit about that. But anyhow, um, uh, how, how's our time? Uh, time, okay, okay. I think that was. Yeah, I probably brought in some things that maybe shouldn't have dealt with. But, but anyhow, um, some of the current events. But uh, Daniel Revelation is current today and will be till the, the Lord comes. The main thing we know, need to know: Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So, so let's let's pray. Father, we want to thank you again for the books of Daniel and of Revelation and all the other books that talk about Jesus. We pray that you will draw us closer to you, closer to each other, that Christ might be glorified. And truly, there will be an onement between ourselves and you and between all the saved throughout eternal ages. We thank you in his name. Amen. Amen.
1: This media was brought to you by Audioverse